Welcome to BusinessWorks. This is Hal Alpiar along with Johnny Stites. And we're here today to share some information and ideas and uh, maybe a little encouragement for small business owners and managers and practice, professional practice people, particularly the managers and owners. And we uh, also have uh, found that we have pretty good appeal for entrepreneurs and people just starting out as well as retired people coming back into the workplace. We've heard from quite a few people over time um, who are job hunting, in fact, at various businesses and professional practices, and they've asked what kinds of advice we might have. So we put together a couple of thoughts here that we want to share with you today. Uh, here's some input that appears to be <laughs> directed at millennials, and maybe you'll figure out why. But I think it's particularly useful, and it comes from a – LinkedIn post, it it says, choose a boss, not a job. And it says, a person who supports you, trusts you, and believes in you will make a great difference in your career. To find such a boss, the writer suggests, using the word superior as a guideline, as a acronym, I suppose you could say, right? And he takes a, each letter of the word superior and says that you need to find a boss who is supporting the U is understanding, P for protective, E for empowering, R for respectful, I for inspiring, O for open-minded, and R for reassuring. And I might suggest that the same little guideline probably applies in an even stronger way to finding and hiring the right employees. In other words, choose a person, not an employee. A person who acts and speaks supportively and respectfully toward you, the boss, and toward the tasks and the responsibilities you describe and toward your customers, that's really what counts. It's somebody who asks what you consider to be reasonable questions but takes you at your word and who gives the impression that she or he supports your words and actions and your stated goals and purposes and who also demonstrates the ability to think for her or himself. I know Johnny's sitting here thinking for himself, when's he ever going to stop talking? So <laughs> I will. And if you want to just chime in, John, with uh, how do we add up these attributes? What's the value? You know, maybe talk a little bit about how this applied in your business experience. Well, good day to you, Hal. I'm glad to be here. I was just thinking as you were recounting that uh, LinkedIn article, there's another word I think that comes in when you start to look for a job, and that is what is the culture of the job. What kind of culture does this company have? Because sometimes if you move yourself into a culture, the boss may be great, but the politics of the position, the politics of the company, the way people are treated by other employees may be a win or lose depending upon how that treatment is. So the, how would you describe culture as it applies in this situation? Well, the culture is only important as to how it relates to you personally. So you want to find a culture that you would be comfortable in. You meaning the boss. I mean, meaning the employee. The employee. employee okay. uh, for instance, if I applied at a place of business and every other word that came out of the people who worked there's mouth was a four-letter word, it would make me really uncomfortable. Not that I'm better than them, but it was just it's not the culture I'm used to being a part of. And I think it would be better for me to find one that had a lot of the same value structure that I have. And I can't go into a company that has one culture 
and start dictating how they're supposed to change to fit me. Once I'm there for a while, I might get influence it, but in the beginning, it would be exceedingly difficult for me to make a change in a culture of a new company that I've just joined. Does so that make sense? Yes, it does. And I'm, from the boss's perspective, how does one go about establishing a culture for their businesses? If it's a new business or if it's an old business, what, do you, what are some of the, the ingredients there? I mean, how do they well, do that so it attracts the kind of people they want? That's a great, great question. The very first thing you have to do is you have to come up with what is your core values as a company? Because those core values are going to define your culture in large respect. Can when, you give me a couple of examples? Okay, maybe we can. Well, here's what I did, and it affected the way I advertised. When I first started in construction, I wanted to be a big, well-known company. I found out that that's really not important. What is important is that I recognize that I'm in a small town, and relatively I might be a large company compared to many, but I'm still pretty small compared to others. So don't make it about being big or small. Make it about being excellent. And so I wanted to find people who wanted to live in a small so, excuse town. Excuse me. What, I, what I'm, I'm hearing you also say is don't make your culture be about your necessarily your goals or where you imagine yourself being, but rather where you are right now. I think so. Your core values are those things that are not going to change no matter what size you are and no matter how old you are. You see companies uh, in the book Built to Last by Collins and Porus who had been around for 150 or 200 years. They had the same core values they did when they started. Their founding entrepreneurs established. I think it's important that as people joining companies, we look intently at what their core values are, what is their core focus, what kind of business are they going after. For instance, if I wanted to go with a construction company, which is an industry I was in for 45 years, I would not feel as comfortable going with a company that just emphasized low price because I would realize that that's all you're emphasizing. You're going to cost an owner in the long run because you usually get what you pay for and not many companies will give you more than you pay for. And so you want to find a company that's going to fit your goals. I wanted to always try to give more than I received. If my contract was for $100,000, I tried the best of my ability to find something that wasn't in the contract that I could give to the owner without breaking the bank, but would also excite them that I wasn't just penny pinching them and trying to make as much money off of them as I could. Now, there seems to be um, when people start a business, there's a different attitude about what you charge than it is when you've been in business for a while. And and I think that when you've been in business for a while, you're afraid of charging more. You're afraid of raising your prices because you think you may going to lose customers. And that's an interesting kind of juxtaposition with what you're talking about. And then the other part is if you're starting a business, you tend to be a little timid about putting your price where it maybe should be. So we're really kind of talking about people's attitudes and personalities. And this is how this all adds up to the culture aspect, I think, from what from what I understand you to be saying. It, I'll tell you also that it isn't much different in a lot of other businesses I've been involved with, not just construction. So um, in fact, there are some cases I could cite in healthcare <laughs> where, where price differentials exist. So 
Anyway, we're going to take a quick break here and come back, so stay with us. Welcome back to BusinessWorks. This is Hal Alpiar, along with Johnny Stites. We've been talking about uh, business culture, about how a boss or an employee should look on a particular job situation. And so we talked about some of the new kinds of businesses, the old ones. And, you know, one of the things we just were talking about off uh, off the mic here was uh, when you have a new business, you have a tendency to be worried about charging too much for something, particularly if you're coming into a competitive market. And then, too, is if you've been in business for a while, you may be particularly timid about raising your prices for fear of losing your customers. And I wonder if, Johnny, you could address one or those, maybe both those thoughts uh, as as you've experienced. Well, I don't think you could find a more competitive atmosphere than construction because there are a lot of well-established companies. But there's also people who have a plastic sign they put on the side of their truck and they change that sign about once a month or Go once a fly every, by night. Yeah, yeah. they're fly by yeah. night, or I used to call them Bub and Skeeter. And the, <laughs> it, not in, in an effort to be disrespectful to men who are working with their hands and being right. successful, but people who don't do what they say. They don't come when they tell you they will. They don't do the work Sounds they promise like a politician. to do. Well, they'd be good politicians <laughs> with those There are a lot of similarities. <laughs> That's right. Well, we won't get onto that today. but <laughs> So I think what, what I learned was have a clear understanding of what your values are as an owner and what culture those values can can build within your organization and then find people who want to be a part of that kind of an organization. Uh, I was talking to a former employee uh, just today, and he was recounting how that every time we deviated from our culture, that is, having people who were residing in Cookville, who wanted to be in a small town, who wanted to work for a smaller construction company, every time we deviated and let somebody say, well, I'll just domicile in Nashville or Clarksville or Knoxville, and then I'll be a part of the company. Not one time did that ever work because that's not who we were. That's not to say people can't have residences other places than the headquarters, but in our culture, it didn't work because of the way we ran the company and because of the way, the kind of people that we attracted. There was all about relationships, both within the company and outside the company, and that's why we had our, our motto, we build relationships. So as a boss, when you're looking for employees, you want people who take you at your word, who seem respectful, but also who agree with the direction uh, and the flow of your business and that uh, they demonstrate the ability to think for themselves. And and so that's looking for an employee and employees need to look for bosses that kind of fit that same type of description in a sense. Well, there'd be some people who'd be absolutely perfectly at ease with working for a company where all every word is a four-letter word. They just would live and thrive in that environment. That was not me. And so I look for people who are more comfortable and in a culture that I could be comfortable with. Therefore, we immediately have a synergy that we could work together well and be effective as a team. Because the more effective that team could be, the better we could perform for the owner. I, I remember a, a part-time job I had that kind of plays on that point, and it was I had a boss who had a a habit of being either sarcastic or disrespectful or overall kind of judgmental 
about every customer as they left the business. He would make some comment, some negative thing about that person. And I, I couldn't take it. After a couple of weeks of that, I said, I, you know, I'm sorry. I'm, and I moved somewhere else for less pay. These are part-time jobs when I was in school. But I remember them. That always stuck in my head. Why this person was so judgmental about customers. Right. Um, they were the lifebread of the business, basically. You and, know? and I know sometimes it sounds kind of uh, hallmarkish, if you will, to talk about core values. People don't, in many companies, don't even have core values. They don't understand the value can you, of. Can them. you give a, an example, maybe, of what what that means? So, if somebody's just starting out now and they haven't heard that term, so core values are those values that you're going to hold intrinsic to yourself, and that you want your company to emulate. So, uh, for instance, in our company, one of our core values was honesty. There was absolutely no. Uh, equivocation in that. That's not to say we didn't make mistakes, but we there were honest mistakes. We made them trying to do the right thing or do the best we could. And therefore, there was never a question about whether we were going to make it right. If so we the, this did, would be things like teamwork attitude, that, yes, that sort of thing too, right? Yeah, it would. And nobody can say what your core value should be, but just making yourself sit down. I remember you said, I thought with great wisdom, one time that if you will take a pen and put it in your hand and write down what you're thinking, there's just something different about writing it down yeah. than there is about there is just indeed. speaking it. Yeah, and also it's quite different from what you you know punch into a keyboard. And, and the, there's a physiological difference of a thought in your mind going through your, your body, through your neck into your arms, into your hands, into a pen and onto a piece of paper – it's much different than if it if you go into a keyboard and it becomes an electronic entry. When you've actually written it and moved your hand uh, to get the words out and put them down someplace, um, there's much more of a commitment. You remember it longer. There are a lot of more positive attributes to doing that than to punching them into your cell phone or your calendar or whatever. You know, Hal, I bet you there's some youngsters <laughs> out there saying these two old guys – or not even connected with reality. Well, it's true. Unfortunately for them, uh, it is true. And, I, and there are many instances that could show that old or not doesn't much matter. It, it's a reality at this point. And um, I, there are lots of examples. But I remember uh, Stonewall Jackson. His name was really Jonathan J. Jackson. And he was uh, one of the Confederate generals in the Civil War. Well, he had a list of values that he as a man wanted to live by. And when you have those lists like that, you don't get swept away by the, the mob mentality or by the what's most the shiny stuff, as we might say. So when the South passed a law that said you cannot give blacks education, you cannot teach them how to read, he just ignored it because it was it was not in his best interest. So he taught Sunday school class and taught the black children that he had access to how to read. And he did that because he had a set of core values and no one except the Lord in heaven was going to change those. And so that's the advantage of having core values that you think are really, really important. And there, and I might just add that we're talking about open-mindedness 
really, uh, toward employees and customers and vendors and everyone that deals with you. And that kind of positive attitude and receptivity is seen by everyone and talked about by everyone. So we're going to take a quick break here, and uh, we'll be back with you in a minute. Don't go away. Welcome back to Business Works. This is Hal and Johnny, and we've been talking about attitudes, open-mindedness, core values, all those good kinds of things that are very hard to describe, but we've been able to give some good examples, I think. Open-mindedness toward employees and customers and vendors alike will be seen by them and by others as receptivity and a positive attitude. And Johnny mentioned, Johnny's going through his books during the break, of course. So tell me about positive attitude, Johnny, because that's you said that's not really a core value. Um, a core value is something that you can hold in your heart and mind. And a positive attitude is certainly a mind thing, but it doesn't. It's a uh, reflection of that. It, it does. It's more of a reflection of a core value than okay. it is the value itself. I was just looking at some examples here. Uh, continually strives for perfection. That drives a certain kind of action, doesn't it? Does the right thing. Compassion. Just try to see how these would fit into your business if you're listening. It's enthusiastic. Encourages individual ability and creativity. Some businesses do that. Some don't. So if, you, if that's important to you, if that's one of your core values, don't get in a business that doesn't have that as important to them. Works hard. This is one that I think has to be a part of everybody's core values because if you don't work hard, you're putting yourself at risk in the workplace. Well, that's true. And even beyond that, the core values and the the qualities we're talking about are really what give birth to repetitive sales. I mean, it's what puts that in motion. People come back. When you evidence these things, um, are That's you exactly right? Yeah, I, I, one of the most important things I've always felt is are, because I don't see businesses doing this as much as they need to. Are you, for example, treating delivery people and cleaning people and charity solicitors the same way that you would treat business or practice prospects? In other words, are you treating everybody the same? Are you being as receptive and positive and helpful to everyone, doesn't matter what they do when they come to the door, when they come in the store, when they come to your place of business, does it matter if they're delivering a parcel or they're delivering mail or they're delivering a message of some kind or if they're there to clean the bathroom? You don't need to treat them differently. I think this is part of this distinction that we've come to make over over ages of time is not a healthy one. And it is something I see often that people do get treated differently depending on where they're coming from. Integrity, as I've always said and I've often defined, is doing the right thing even when no one else is around to notice it. And I think that if that's an overriding guideline, if we could call it, that integrity is dealing with other people the same and in a positive manner, regardless of who they are, regardless of why they're there, it doesn't hurt. And you never know who else they may bring in your door and do business with you. I'm sure, Johnny, you've had uh, examples of people who were customers. You treated them right, and they not only came back, but they maybe they brought other people in from their family There's or no friend doubt. circles. And I always said in business, particularly, what goes around comes around. And that can be in a bad way or a good way. And you never know how things are going to connect up and give you the opportunity of a lifetime 
just because of the way you dealt with somebody that you ne- you never thought they'd be able to help you, ever. So if we take these things that we're talking about right now, and then how do you put them out to the world? Um, there are some terrific social media sites that most of you who are listening probably are aware of. There may be some you're not. But if you're not aware of all of them, then it's worth maybe doing a little, you know, Googling (laughs) to find out about them because you may find that there is a particular social media site that really caters to your particular business or your particular kind of customers. Start with your own website and really sit back and be objective and decide if it really does capture and attract the kinds of people that you want for customers, your customer base. Most of us have a defined area that we would seek out. LinkedIn certainly is a site that provides more business-related contacts and opportunities than most others, and particularly because it's worldwide. Twitter, I I uh, found LinkedIn to be a good one for business. I use it. And it t- it allows you to address the people you want to reach, like business owners or CEOs or entrepreneurs. And that, to me, is an excellent resource for business. Alignable is a local business site that is developed for uh, helping businesses down the street to be in touch with other businesses down the next street and that sort of thing. Referral Key seems to me to be um, uh, regional and has, if you went on there in uh, central Tennessee, you would find people from uh, all over the country, but the the bulk of them that would be gravitating toward you would be from between Nashville and Knoxville, for example. So, you know, that's not a bad place to be. Uh, Yelp for business, uh, Facebook. Facebook, by the way, is really a vehicle that if you're going to use it for your business, you have to have someone in your business or you yourself have to monitor it every day because it's so open that it invites people to use language that you don't particularly want associated with your business interests or yourself. Or it invites people to use videos and pictures to the, in the same fashion. Things you maybe just don't want you know that are private that you don't particularly want to have tied in with with your business uh, approach and the things you have to sell. We have uh, pluses and minuses for each. You have to weigh these things for yourself. Remember that eighty percent of online users pay no attention whatsoever to online advertising. Isn't that an interesting thought? So we're going to uh, wrap it up with that. We'll be back to you. Next week, we will be talking about the difference between being a sole proprietor versus a single member LLC and what the pluses and minuses are for setting up a business.